I wonder, have you ever been in one of those positions where you've been trusted to look after something that is not yours? And then you've made a terrible mistake and it's cost the owner of something that they had trusted to you to look after. I can remember the date, Sunday the 9th of July 2017. I was driving home from Riverside Church after our Sunday morning services. <laughs> Very kindly that morning, Claire, my wife, her mum and dad, had said to me as I left home, are oh, you take our car this morning, Tim? And so there I was on my way home from Riverside Church on that fateful Sunday morning in July 2017, driving their car. And now normally, when someone entrusts you with something that is theirs, that you know is of great worth, normally it changes the way you drive and changes how much you concentrate. That's what normal people do. <laughs> After all, who on earth would want to have an accident in their in-law's car, right? Well, on that Sunday morning, in a post-church, pre-lunch frenzy, I was just outside Edgebaston Stadium, just by the Mac entrance, not really paying attention, and without really looking, decided to quickly change lanes to try and beat the traffic. Bang! I hadn't seen a car coming up the lane, and I drove straight into the lane and they couldn't stop hitting my in-laws lovely car. I still remember getting home after stopping uh, and speaking with the person who was quite senior in the council in the transport department. <laughs> I still remember getting home and that mix of guilt, anger with myself and frankly embarrassment. After all, I'd been trusted with their car and I had messed up. Well, as they always are, they were very kind, but I've never forgotten the lesson that day that there is a big difference between being an owner and being a steward of a car. Because my father-in-law said, Tim, don't worry, I will sort it out. I wasn't the owner of the car, and so therefore he, as the owner, was willing to therefore take responsibility for it, because that's what owners do. It's his car. He had to do the admin, and he ultimately had to bear the cost as well as premiums go up. The difference between being an owner and being a steward and not stewarding it well. That's what we're talking about this morning. Because as we continue our series in... Uh, called open-handed, we're thinking about what it means to be generous. And this concept of being a steward is really, really important. Because owners decide what they want to do with their property. Stewards only don't do what they want to do. They take direction from the owner. Owners carry the weight of the responsibility. Stewards can simply trust in the owner and what they say. Think about the world around us, how we treat the environment. We know, don't we, 
that we are in a very problematic time. This is what the chief exec of the World Economic Forum has said. We need to live as a steward of the environmental and material universe for future generations. This world is not ours that we can do with what we please. We need to steward it for future generations well. But this idea of being a steward rather than owners fallen out of favour. I googled it. Did you know the number of times, there's a great thing you can do on Google where you search how often a word has appeared in books. Since the 1800s, the early 1800s, the use of the word steward has dropped by two thirds. We are in a world where we own things. We're not in a world where we like the idea of just being stewards for other people. And this series that we're looking at today, as we carry on, is about being open-handed, generous people. Are we the kind of people that grab on, hold on to things with tight, clenched fists, like we're owners and we do what we want to do? Or are we people who enjoy the freedom of being open-handed, generous with all that we do, all that we've been given? And so we're going to jump in with four key things from the reading that was read to us. But as we jump into that, I just want to say something by way of information. For those who are regularly part of Riverside, uh, on your seats you'll see one of these cards somewhere around called Giving Card. If you're regularly part of Riverside and you're already kind of involved financially in the work of Riverside uh, and you're kind of comfortable with where you're at with that, you can ignore this. That's fine. Or if you're new here for the first time and you're kind of just visiting, ignore this. This is fine. This is particularly for those of us who are here. We know we'd say we're part of Riverside. Um, and and it, we'd kind of think of it as our church, but we're never in sort of any meaningful way taken part, being part of, in a financial way of all that we're doing here. We'd love you to think about just completing this with some information and someone from the operations team would love to get in touch with you to chat further about that. Uh, so feel free to do that as we go through. So four things about being a steward rather than being owner from the passage that we read. The first is this. Stewards recognize the source of all that they have. That's source, S-O-U-R-C-E, not S-A-U-C-E. As with last week, and if you weren't around last week, do catch up back on YouTube at Judy's talk. This passage begins by reminding us of something really important for all of us, and it's this. Owners, people who think it's mine, think everything they've got comes from me. I've earned it. It's mine. Whereas stewards, think of that example of the world, don't think of it as ours. We think of it as merely something that we use because it's been, we've inherited it and we therefore pass it on to others. Look at verse 11. Here it is, what was read to us. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Everything. And then verse 14. Everything comes from you, God, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. This is the crucial starting point of having generous lives, as Judy showed last week. And some of us, it's just worth pausing, might have real difficulty here. In the same way that we don't like the concept of stewardship in our world, and it's dropped dramatically in books, some of us struggle because we're not sure that God has given us those things. And some of us will be here thinking we're not sure if there is a God for whom he's the one who's provided us with things. Might I encourage you, if that's you this morning, to be thinking, nothing comes from nothing, does it, in our world? 
as the old saying goes, I don't believe in the virgin birth, but I do believe in the virgin universe. Where does it all come from? Think of the beauty of your body. Look at the person next to you if you want, if you dare. Think of the complexity of their body. Amazing. The idea that that just comes from absolutely nothing takes a huge leap of faith, a bigger leap of faith than believing there's a God behind it, to my mind. And what's interesting is when you think of the idea of charity and giving things away for people who aren't part of our immediate family, in the ancient world, it was only in the Jewish and the Christian tradition that they saw that. Our society is so generous, but we forget where that kind of generosity comes from. Here's a quote from someone from Oxford University. She's the professor of Greco-Roman history. This is where she thinks that charity, the idea of charity, comes from. Christians are taught that God loves them absolutely, and that on that basis they can trust in God. They can love God because they're given such an abundance. They can afford to love one another with enormous unreserved generosity. Charity, the idea of it, was not around in the ancient world. It's only when we recognise all that we have comes from there is a God, even the breath in our lungs. Therefore, we steward what he's given to us rather than it's mine. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. What do stewards do differently to owners? They remember where their home is. The other day, I was going for a drink with a mate in the city centre. And I got on an Uber to go into the city centre, and I'm sure some of you have had this experience, got in the Uber, started chatting to the Uber driver, and I said to him, have you, how long have you been on shift? Has this been a busy day? And he said, I've just started because I've actually got another job. So this is not my full-time job. I kind of do this extra because I work full-time job during the week, and then at weekends I do some Uber as well. And he began to open up about his story. He's Eritrean heritage moved over here. He's, got, he's one of eight siblings. He's the only one that's left Eritrea and the reason he's left here is so that he can send work as hard as he can to earn as much money as he can so that he can send as much money home to his siblings and his family in Eritrea. Did you know the average migrant sends 15% of their income back to their homeland? Where we invest our money says something about where we think our home is. Notice what the passage said to us, verse 15. We're foreigners and strangers in your sight, as we're all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. And stewards live not as though this moment right now is where home is. We're not just part of the United Kingdom. Followers of Jesus are part of the global kingdom, which therefore changes how we use our resources because our home is not here forever. There's something about living as though we're passing through and others will come after us that changes and maybe we need to live as though we're citizens of another, another kingdom. So that's the second thing. So stewards, remember where it all comes from, not from us, from God. Remember where our home is, not just here right now, but way, way bigger. But the third thing about stewards is this, we choose God's priorities rather than our own priorities. If there is a God and he has generously given all that we need in the world to look after each other, then it makes sense that we follow his priorities, not our own priorities with the resources he's given to us. 
I wonder, and I apologize to Martin for this, but if anyone remembers this moment on the screen, if we can have it. Remember this moment, some shaking their heads. Put your hands up just out of interest. Who does remember the moment? Liverpool fans will remember this moment very, very clearly. This was recently voted the greatest goal in Liverpool's history. Look at the look on Martin's face, real disdain. If you don't know about football, it was the Champions League semi-final against where Liverpool were playing the mighty Barcelona. And Liverpool from the first leg were 3-0 down. And so they had to, to be able to get to the final, they had to beat one of, if not the greatest team in the world at the time, at home. Imagine the scenes. They managed through the game to claw it back to three all. Wow. And then in the kind of dying minutes, they won a corner. And the quick thinking of the guy who's on the screen, Trent Alexander-Arnold, led to a beautiful Origi goal, really cheeky taking them to the Champions League final, they went on to win. But what many people don't know is the role of the person who's circled in red. His name is Oakley Canonier. He was that day a 14-year-old ball boy for Liverpool. And before the game, all the ball boys had been briefed to work really hard that day to get the balls back as quickly as possible. He didn't know why. He was just following the directions of what the boss had said. And then in the dying few moments, as he quickly got the ball back to Trent Alexander-Arnold, which enabled him to do the amazing little fake and then pass the ball for Origi to score, going on so they would then win the Champions League final. Might I suggest that is the work of a steward? where they're doing, they don't know why, but they know what they've been told to do, the directions they've been given, all their task is to deliver it. And the outcome is up to others. By the way, just as a little aside, even if you don't know football, it is worth searching on YouTube for this moment. It is a stunning moment. I'll end it there. That'll do. That's fine. As a Liverpool fan, I may say that still gives me the shivers. But there's something about being a steward of God's resources where we don't need to worry about the outcome. But we see what God's priorities are in life. And so therefore, if we are followers of Jesus, we simply want to use the resources he's given us for his priorities. Verse 16, here it is on the screen. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. It's not through gritted teeth or fingers crossed, but rather, Lord, you've given us so much. We'll give as you tell us to. And that's why in the coming months, as we do all the time, we're going to be having some baptisms here at Riverside. And if you're somebody that you know you've chosen to follow Jesus... That's what baptism is, where you publicly say to the world, I'm on Jesus' team and therefore I'm going to follow his ways and do all I can to order my life by his priorities. That's what it means. So you might want to be thinking, maybe this, in the coming months, maybe that might be the opportunity for me to get baptised, to say, yeah, I'm on Jesus' team. So that's the third thing about being a steward. First thing is remembering the source of all the good things, God. Second thing is remembering where our home is. The third thing is, trying to order our things around God's priorities rather than ours. And the fourth, as I come to a close, is this. 
stewards, might I suggest, embrace the adventure that they're on. It's so easy to think about generosity and feel our hearts sink. But as Judy shared last week brilliantly, it's very rare to meet somebody who's generous and unhappy. There is something about an adventure of trusting all that we've been given to God and seeing what he will do with it. Look at verse 14 again. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Who are we that we get to play a part in God's amazing kingdom, doing all his amazing things and taking all our little frail offerings and seeing them be multiplied and seeing God do amazing things? There are people in this room right now whose lives have been changed as a direct result of your generosity if you are regularly involved in the life of Riverside. Isn't that brilliant? Their lives have been changed because of you. And if we follow God's way and order our ways by his priorities, other lives will go on being changed. And as I come to a close, there is a question here, I know. Because some of us will be thinking, but Tim, I'm really struggling with stuff at the moment and I don't see God's generosity. But it's only as we look at the cross of Jesus and we see just how much Jesus has given to us that therefore we can then say, well, I therefore will trust you with what I need. If you've gone out of your way, left heaven to earth to step in for our case, our sake, therefore I can trust you with my immediate needs right now. Only as we see what we've received do we then live as stewards rather than owners. And friends, can I urge you, you can trust him. There are countless stories in this room right now of God's provision in amazing ways. And they will go on to be for us as a church and for you as individuals. What an adventure to be on, to trust God, not almost in ways that we cannot see. A final story as I close. Years ago, a friend of mine, a friend of mine's dad actually, worked in, uh, he was a private, in a private company, but worked in the Ministry of Defence on a particular contract. And the level that he went in there for at Ministry of Defence level was as a brigadier level. So he's quite senior, but as a private contractor in Ministry of Defence terms, if you understand what I mean. And so therefore, like all these things, the stuff that he was working on was top secret, really kind of stuff that he couldn't talk about. As a result, he had to be interviewed twice by MI5 or whoever it was to check that he was trustworthy. And whilst through the interview, do you know one of the things they did? This friend of mine's dad was a Christian. During the interview, the interviewers asked him, you give out quite a lot of money from your bank account. We want to know where that goes. And he said, I'm a follower of Jesus, and so therefore I give it to my local church. And they said, that cannot be true. We want to know where it goes. He said, honestly, it goes to my local church. I think it's right to give generously to my local church. Their response was, no one is that generous. There must be something else going on. The radical generosity in his bank balance that somebody else thought there was something dubious going on because he must be involved in some international drug conspiracy or whatever it might be because no one gives that sort of money away. But his posture was one of being a steward. 
one of recognizing all he had was not his own. And so verse 17 says this, All these things I've given willingly and with honest intent, and now I've seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you too. Friends, this is not prizing open with fingers, but actually us willingly saying, I'm going to open my hands.